This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, so I'm sitting here and I am talking to Joshua Powell. Uh, Josh, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, man. Uh, um, like I said, Joshua Powell, uh, active duty Marine, uh, self-taught bass fisherman. I've uh, been bass fishing for about six years or so now. Uh, fishing is something that's, I guess, kind of always been a hobby or interest of mine. I can remember my dad taking me fishing when I was a kid, but it was primarily uh bluegill panfish bobber watching type stuff and then a couple of years ago just kind of got the itch to uh, pick up fishing again and my wife finally bought me a, a fishing rod and uh, the bit the bug just bit and took hold and been doing it ever since absolutely love it um and then uh living here in south carolina do a little bit of uh inshore fishing as well and then used social media as a way to i guess uh document my journey and learning about fishing and and my progression and things just kind of grown from there that's awesome i love hearing you know people growing and and like sharing that so others can kind of learn from it as well i think that's a very important aspect of uh you know being a steward of the outdoors um but i gotta ask you one thing real quick off the bat here um, you mentioned your wife bought you a bass rod and it kind of took off from there. So w- what was that rod? What did yeah. she get you? What was the first uh, catalyst into the whole fishing movement of yours? Sure. Yeah. So actually the, the first rod that my wife got me was a South Bend brand catfish rod and reel. 
Um, <clears throat> again, still learning, didn't know any better. Uh, she didn't know anything about fishing. So she just went into a store and picked one out that she thought would be good. And, um, you know, dabbled with that for a little while and then kind of fell off again. And then it wasn't until I picked up my first, uh, bait caster at Walmart that, that, uh, I guess the beast really grew, started to grow. So, uh, the South Bend did have like the glow in the dark tip on the end of it and all that kind of stuff. I've, I've got one <laughs> of those rods. Did. I have one of those rods did. and my reel just broke. I've only used the thing like three times. That was it. And oh, no. like, I've had it for probably 15, maybe even 20 something years, but it had the yeah. glow in the dark tip on the end of it. Uh, all kinds of cool stuff. It felt it felt like bulky in your hands, like you could do a little bit of offshore fishing with it or something. But I've never hardly ever used it, and I was going to take it out on the river and screw around with it the other day, and uh, all of a sudden I noticed that the reel it just completely wasn't reeling anymore, and uh, one of the gears had sheared oh, itself no. off inside of it, so it was junk. Um, yeah, st- pull's still good. I might end up doing something with that, but. Uh, it's kind of funny that you yeah. mentioned that because as soon as you said that, it, like a light bulb went off in my head and I thought of the same <laughs> rod. Um, yep. But so like what, what I find funny is uh, the different bait casters and stuff. Like when I was a kid, you know, let's say 15, 20 years ago fishing mm-hmm. and had a couple bait casters and they were supposedly like I never had uh, – trying to think i can't remember the name of like uh calcutta's or whatever they were i never had anything that fancy but i yeah. had like a a mid-grade abu garcia and then like the bass pro shops mm-hmm. johnny morris knockoff of whatever that was you know it was their yeah white sure. label version of you know whatever the other one was i had those and i had such a hard time with them that i did not pick up another bait caster for you know i mean Till a couple years ago, maybe five years ago, and started fishing with you know a couple of them again. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just crazy to see the advancements in technology and the improvements that have been made. To where I think I can't remember oh, yeah. what it was, but it was like one of the top of the line quantum ones a couple years ago. Um, I can't remember the name of the angler, but it was like his signature version. Um, I bought that one, and I was just astonished. Uh, Gerald Swin- Gerald Swindle. I, you know what? I can't tell you. I'd have to go look at it. Um, it's green. I think it's green. It's got a lot of green on it, and uh, it's a pretty nice yeah. reel. It's a pretty nice reel anyway, but I bought that, and I bought the rod to match it, and it's an amazing rod. Um, mm-hmm. Probably better than the reel is, but, um, you know, not bad. couple hundred bucks, you know, the whole setup, whatever, and I'm like, man, this is pretty great. Still got a few bird's nests in them, you know? But uh, then, then my buddy breaks out one of his the other day, and he's like, oh, check out this new Shimano I got. Then I cast it, and it's just <laughs> super smooth. It's flying out. He's only got, like, you know, an eighth or, you know, something ounce, you know, jig on there. And I was like, holy yeah. cow. Like, that thing is flying yeah. for that. And it was just smooth. No, no bird's nest, nothing. And I'm like, okay. So my wife doesn't know this, but I did just order a brand new um, – <laughs> SLX something or rather, and then I got a lose um it's the orange one, like the coppery looking color one. Don't know what model that yeah, is. Yeah, the uh crush. The crush. The mock yeah, the mock and, crush. Yes, and then I also got the Mach 2 coming with the rod yeah. as well. So 
I, I went uh, a little crazy, but he's like, hey, man, my dad bought a Luz, and it was, like, even better. So uh, so I got some stuff coming. I'm going to play around with a little bit more. Um, yeah. You know, I'm I'm getting back into the whole baitcaster revolution after I've realized how much they've come along in the in the past and uh, trying to get yeah, back in really it. Helps. So it's always a good thing to talk to somebody that has quite a bit of knowledge and can even rattle off models to me. Um, <laughs> but so I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, getting into the basics of, you know, different okay. applications for different one rods and reels along with like retrieval rates and stuff like that. So can you kind of okay. start out and like just break down into the different applications, like what they are and, and then we'll kind of dive into the weeds as far as reels and stuff like that. Um, yeah, sure. So, um, as far as bait casters, uh, the bait casters are, are, are super versatile and uh, they're my, um, uh, typical go-to rod and reels versus, uh, say like a spinning, spinning rod and reel. <clears throat> um, and they're all over the place. Uh, if I were to pick one that, that I could use for most stuff, I'd say probably a seven foot to a seven foot one or seven foot two medium heavy rod, um, with probably a six, eight to one gear ratio bait casting, uh, reel maybe some 15 to 17 pound fluorocarbon. And you can do just about anything with that from throwing spinner baits and chatter baits to uh, a Texas rigged worm or creature bait jig, uh, any of those, or even a paddle tail swim bait, stuff like that. Um, and then if I'm going to start going application specific, um, you know, I, I like a, a softer rod for moving baits. So I'm going to look for, more of a moderate action rod. Um, I tend to stick to a seven, two to one or slower gear ratio for just about everything that I do. Um, <clears throat> and I do that mostly because I tend to crank my reels really fast anyways. So those slower gear ratios keeps me from retrieving those baits too quickly. Uh, and and working those baits too quickly uh, in, in most of those cases. Um, uh, flipping and pitching jigs, stuff like that. Um, I definitely like a little bit longer for a, longer of a rod. Um, that longer rod helps take up some of the slack in the line when I go to set the hook. Uh, it absorbs and and uh, I guess again just takes up some of that line. Um, in that hook set, um, seven, two to one gear ratio reel again, 20 pound line. Um, and then if I'm wanting to go a, a real slow, real finesse, light stuff, then I'm going to go with a spinning rod, um, six, 10 to a seven foot spinning rod, um, spinning reel with 15 pound braid to eight to 10 pound leader. Uh, and that, those are kind of my go-tos. So let's kind of talk about uh, what you're mentioning with like the ratio. So like seven two okay. to one would be seven revolutions to every full rotation of the handle, right? Yes. Yes. So then absolutely. like, so it'd be 7.2 rotations, I guess, right? It would be seven yes. two and then to one. And then so like uh, eight would be eight rotations which i think like only like a few reels actually out there ha even have that high of a a ratio which would be like your cur curado or something like that i don't even know if i'm saying it right but 
Yeah, so uh, it, it's crazy too because obviously manufacturers are going going to put out reels that the market is demanding, and there's been a huge push over the last five, six years or so for faster retrieve reels. I want to take up line as fast as I can in the name of efficiency. So I make a, a you know, if I'm flipping and pitching, right? Uh, I make a pitch out there. I work my jig, hop it a couple times. I want to reel that in as fast as I can to make another pitch. Um, and while that's great in some some cases, a lot of times you, you lose torque on the on your fish. So you set the hook, you get a bite, set the hook, and you start cranking, and you lose a lot of torque um, with those higher gear ratio reels. You might be able to retrieve a lot more line when there's no weight on the end there. But once you hook that fish, now you don't have a lot of fighting power where you go with some of those lower gear ratios. Now you've got a lot of torque and you can really crank that fish out of that cover, um, which is why I try and stand, kind of stay middle of the road, seven or so, seven to one gear ratio um, up there. But again, like I said, over the last few years, that push has really been for those higher speed ratio reels. So a lot of manufacturers have come out with high speed reels. Cast King has the speed demons. They're pushing 10 to one gear ratio <laughs> reels. Um, the Re Abo Garcia Revo Rocket Beast, same thing. 10 to one gear ratio reels. Um, where before, you know, eight to one was kind of super high speed. Now we're, there's a, several companies that are pushing those tens. Um, I don't have any of those and I don't think I ever will. Um, <clears throat> I've got an SLX DC that's an eight one to one. And I use that for frogging um, and some of my top water applications. Um, but that's about it. Yeah. So uh, what's your, let's, do you ever do like throw whopper ploppers or anything like that? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whopper ploppers are such a fun bait to throw, um, uh, just hearing it plopping on the water and then just seeing that explosion come up and, uh, th those bass eat it. And they absolutely try to murder those things every time they hit it. Um, but those things, again, um, uh, especially if I'm throwing the real small size, the nineties or whatever, you know, a six, eight to one, seven, two to one, still plenty fast for those. Um, and those are actually, because they float, you don't need anything super fast to work those baits. Where like a standard buzz bait, they'll sink as soon as you stop reeling it. So you do need a little bit faster of a retrieve to keep it up on the water. Where the whopper plopper, it floats, so you can get away with some of those slower gear ratios. And sometimes that slower gear ratio helps out um, and helps that, that plopping sound um, resonate just a little bit better by going a little bit slower. That's weird. Cause I always find like, I mean, there's a fine line between, you know, going too fast or too slow, but on the faster side, it seems like I always get more explosive and more hits rather than just kind of taps. Like, it seems like when it's going sure. faster, there's, there's, a, they, it seems like they put a lot more energy into it. <laughs> I yeah. I don't, yeah. The, the, and those, the, the fish will tell you what they're what they're doing and you can decipher what a fish or how a fish is attacking your lure based on or what kind of bite that was based on how they attack the lure. 
So those super aggressive bites, a lot of times it's not because they're hungry and they're trying to eat it. It's more of a reaction. What was that that just went over my head? Or, hey, you're in my area. I need you to get away. And so they're going to react on it and strike it out of instinct more out of, hey, this is something that I think is a good meal. Let me eat it. Um, and so a lot of times those top water bites, that's what that is, is it's a reaction strike out of instinct, get away from me, or I don't know what that was, but I'm going to strike at it just to kill it first. And then I'll investigate later. <laughs> so what's your favorite, uh, kind of approach to try and fish for, for a bass? And, and then, Ooh. and then after that, we'll dive into another question, but, uh, just kind of, sure. Like mine for sure is top water. I love watching those explosions, especially like uh, like a frog and having it just tap hopping over lily pads or something, and then not knowing if something's in there or not, and they just come right up through it and just slap it. Or when they slap it up in the air and then jump, you know, out of the water to yeah. to, to hit it. That that to me is like the most exciting adrenaline pumping, and then just fighting them through all those you know weeds trying to pull them out. Like for me. That gets yeah. me going. And I only, and what's weird is I only do it like maybe two times a year. You know, you got that kind of small yeah. summertime window to where the heat's, you know, and it starts cooling down in the evening and it's like the perfect time yeah, to get yeah, them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that to me, that's my most favorite thing to do to try and just get a big, large mouth just slamming it. Yeah. Oh my God. Frog fishing is so much fun. <laughs> um, and I, I, as, as much as I, as much as I love fishing a frog, I don't think like if I had to one pick one technique that I could fish and I know I'm going to get bites 90% of the time and it holds a special place in my heart is flipping and pitching close quarters combat with like a seven, four to seven, six, medium heavy to heavy foot, uh, heavy rod, um, 20 pound test fluorocarbon and either a jig or a Texas rig and just making those pitches super tight to cover um, and just going up and down the bank, whether you can see or you can't see, I primarily fish dirty, muddy water. Um, so 90% of the time I can't see the fish there, which in my mind makes it that's what makes it fun is because I don't know if a fish is there or not. So everything that I'm having to decipher under the water is all through feel. What is my line doing? I'm having to watch my line in the water. Um, what can I feel with the jig? What can I feel in, in my rod, in my hand? Um, I can feel the, when the, the bait hits bottom, I can feel when it's, uh, you know, falling through cover, twigs, whatever. And then all of a sudden I feel the, feel the bait, uh, feel the fish pick up that bait or I don't feel anything at all. And all of a sudden my line is two feet to the right of where I pitched in. Um, and Hey, now it's game on. I reel down, <laughs> set the hook and they're fighting for their life. I'm fighting to get under the boat. I mean, I, to me, that's just so much fun. So, so much fun. With that being said, I got a question for you. Do you have live scope yet? Sure. Do you got live scope on the boat? I do not. So <laughs> you are fishing uh, blind compared I, to that because that is insane. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No. Uh, my my boat is a little uh, twelve foot plastic John boat, and that's all I have. I do have a hummingbird uh, 
unit that's got side scan and down scan, but that's about it. Uh, so I don't have I don't have any of the fancy electronics. I don't have any of that. I'm very much fishing old school, doing it by sight, doing it by feel. So um, do you ever get to fish any tournaments or anything like that with like a fishing buddy or? Um, I fished a couple small tournaments in the past, um, you know, only a handful of boats. Um, but it, it's definitely something going out to Arizona. There's a couple big lakes that are going to be close to my house. I would definitely uh, like to get into some fishing, some, some of those local tournaments and, and try my hand in that. That sounds like it'd be fun. I've never actually fished yeah. a bass tournament tournament myself, and it's kind of exciting. Uh, this September, I'm going to be going down to Lake Fork, and uh, I'll oh, be yeah? fishing down there. My dad's got a small little place on the lake. Uh, him and his buddies go there all the time, like in the spring and in the fall. Yeah, yeah. And they've been talking it up for like five years. I've never been down there to fish with them. So uh, there's uh, it used to be called the McDonald's tournament. I think it's like the Sealy now, but they say it's like the amateur. It's the closest thing an amateur can do to get to the pros is like one of these type of tournaments, and it's like a three day, um, you know, tournament. And uh, kind of excited to do that. Same oh, time, yeah. it's like man, I, I don't know if you know. And 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 then really, I guess <laughs> all it really amounts to is uh, sheer luck. You know, if I mean, there's skill involved, yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the guy that caught the five pound bass versus the eight pound bass that won it or whatever, that's sheer luck, yeah. you know, but <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that sounds like such a treat. I would love to fish fork one of these days, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I think the closest I've come biggest lake that I fished on it. It's a big lake, obviously is uh Lake Malax. Um, uh, I had a buddy of mine, he won uh, a drawing contest or a, an entry contest through General Tire. Um, and so me and him got to go up to Mille Lacs in 2018. And we got to fish on a boat with Edwin Evers out on Mille Lacs. Um, you got to fish the back of the boat, right? <laughs> no, it was crazy. So we Edwin drops his boat. In, at the launch there in, in Mille Lacs and drops the boat in. We all get in and he's like, Hey, I'm going to start idling this out of this Creek. And then I need to rig up some rods. So somebody jump behind the wheel and get us out of this Creek at, while I'm rigging up rods. And so I'm like, okay, I'm thinking my buddy's going to jump behind the wheel since he won the contest. He was like, Hey man, that's all you. Okay. You don't have to tell me twice. So I jump behind the wheel of Edwin, Edwin's boat and I'm, <laughs> you know, steering us out of this Creek. Edwin's up on the deck, rigging up a couple spinning rods with some drop shots. And, uh, we start getting out of this Creek. He's done, uh, rigging up rods. And I fully expect him to say, all right, you know, get out of the way. Let, let me get us to the first spot. And, you know, we can start fishing from there. He sat in between the two of us and was like, all right, man, let's go. And so I got to drive Edwin Evers' 21-foot bass boat across Lake Mille Lacs at 70 miles an hour. Big old 200 just, Merc on the back just ripping. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. It, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. <laughs> I had a blast. And then we smoked smallmouth all day long. It was so much fun. So I got to ask you, largemouth or smallmouth, <clears throat> what is your preferred 
uh, one to catch? <clears throat> so we don't have smallmouth where I'm at. So for me, smallmouth are an absolute treat. Um, they fight so much harder for so much longer than a largemouth does. Largemouth are fun to catch, but after the first like five, six seconds, unless it's a big fish, they pretty much stop fighting. You can just, after the first couple seconds, you can kind of just horse them in and that's it. A smallmouth will fight all the way up to the side of the boat and then pull some more and they just don't quit. <laughs> so smallmouth are absolutely, if I had to choose one between the other, I would take smallmouth all day long. So I uh, used to primarily fish largemouth fish lakes and stuff like that and uh mm -hmm. and catch them and and it's like to me it gets old though like unless it's a big fish it just gets old because there yeah. isn't that fight you know what i mean and i can catch like little one and two pounders all day long and it's like yeah. okay but until you get that four or five six pounder it's like man okay you know so you're you're casting yeah. all day long just to try and get that fish and then you know when it never happens you go home and you're like well you know that that was that was kind of fun, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. so recently I started uh, like a couple years ago, I guess two, two years ago maybe started fly fishing for smallies, and uh, oh yeah, and one of the guys that I interviewed, we went out and went fishing with him, and he's got a drift boat, and he so he guides us, and we go out, and then what's cool is like it's totally unexpected, you know, you're thinking. You know, you don't have to tie your own anything on or anything. And you almost feel bad, right? You know, that that you're yeah. not doing anything because part of the work is part of the experience. And I feel like a lot of people, if they only go out with a guide, they, they neglect that uh, aspect of the outdoors. And then, you know, you don't get as much satisfaction out of it because part of that satisfaction is the struggle to get to that point. But, uh, yeah. but anyway, it started doing that. And then it kind of just kind of set fire and I ended up buying my own fly rod and wading out a couple times. And, and now I even wade in my Creek a little bit. And instead of taking like a big heavyweight fly rod, I'll take like a trout rod, like a five weight rod and yeah, uh, yeah. five weight line. And <laughs> the other day I thought it was the coolest thing ever because it was the first fish that I caught out of my Creek in my backyard. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. And it was a little tiny smallie about six inches long. <laughs> on <laughs> <laughs> like a little two inch long it's like a i think like a number number four or a six hook so like a small hook not even a like an yeah, odd yeah. just this four or six hook murdich minnow and uh caught that on it and thought it was the coolest thing ever i'm like look kids look at my little fish yeah <laughs> you know but it was the first first That's thing awesome. i caught in my creek on a fly rod you know on my own so uh yeah just kind of fun you know so now i try and just if I got, you know, 20 minutes or half hour, I could just try and sneak out of the yard real quick while everybody else is doing yard work and I'm pretending to do yard work and <laughs> slip away with that rod, fly rod in my hand and just uh, wait yeah. in there for a couple minutes and uh, see what I can catch. There's a couple holes right on the corner here by my house. So 
you know, Heck yeah. see, see what's going on. But that, you know, always fun. Uh, but going out on the river and actually catching those smallies and catching a couple pound smallie, like that is a huge yes. fight. And then like for me, the whole fly rod just took it to a whole new level. But uh, that's most of my experience, like using whopper ploppers and stuff like that is on the river fighting smallies. And it's pretty fun. It's uh, yeah. it's definitely a fun experience, but there's some backwaters that I want to go hit up um, that have a bunch of lily pads and stuff, and I want to – I got to – I just want to skip a frog. <laughs> I just ordered one of the new disco ball frogs. So, uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, I got to try it out, you know. But um, – Yeah. So you don't – you fish a lot of cloudy water, and I was surprised to see when I was in South Carolina, kind of on, like, the Georgia border there. I mean, it is mm-hmm. like chocolate milk water. <laughs> like, yeah, it is crazy yeah. how how yeah, muddy it is. So you really are throwing blind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um, so you you do that a lot. I mean, do you go on like uh, ponds and stuff like that too when you can and get away? Or yep, yep. Fish a lot of ponds. Um, like I said, I got a little uh plastic twelve foot John boat, so it's real easy for me to load it up in the back of the truck and drop it into a pond and. Uh, put a tr- little trolling motor on the back and just puts around the pond and uh, flipping pitch or frog or uh, one of the things that I've been getting into a lot lately. Uh, so you're talking about fly fly fishing and going down real small. I'm doing the opposite. I'm going big time and I'm throwing big swim baits. Um, some of these, um, you know, six, eight inch hard bodies, multi multi-jointed swim baits or glide baits stuff like that and i'm i'm trying to put those to work in some of these ponds and i've been doing okay i guess uh so i haven't caught anything huge huge with them uh i think the biggest i caught on a swim bait over the last two years i caught a five and a quarter uh on a swim bait out of one of the ponds that i fish so how big of a swim bait are we talking like a medium-sized bluegill swim swim bait or are we talking like 10 inch swim bait uh no this one it's probably five inches nose to tail but it's uh three and a quarter ounces uh it's a um it's called a psycho gill um and this one it's all the whole thing is lime green so it's a killer color but it's completely different than what they're used to seeing um so you can reel it real slow and it'll wake right across the top of the surface or you can crank it on a medium retrieve and it'll crank down to about a foot or so. Uh, and that's how I caught this one was cranking it down to about a foot right along the edge of a weed line. Um, and this five and a quarter just came flying out from underneath it and just absolutely smoked it. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So I saw you yeah. post something about uh, one of your buddies was going to give away a swim bait or something when he reached a certain amount of followers or something like that. Is that yeah. the guy that's making those baits or is that? Uh, no, it's another another manufacturer um he he makes his his own and and that's one of the things i like about um what i've been able to do with instagram is is kind of network and meet some of these uh some of these guys that not just make their own baits but just all all different kinds of walks of life um but that's yeah that's how i met him was uh just another random guy that i got to talking to he saw one of my swim bait posts and so he started messaging me and we got back talking back and forth. Uh, and so we'll chat now every now and again. Um, so 
yeah, it, it, it's let's, let's so throw his cool name out there so then maybe people can like see what he's doing and maybe help him get to that follower mark or whatever. Yeah, so it's uh, Perco Lures, um, P E R K O. Um, so he's going to do uh, several give- giveaways as he reaches different follower milestones. Right now, he's looking for 700 followers, and you get to pick any one of his lures that he makes and paint it however you want, and he'll send it to you for free. That's pretty cool. So it's, it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. I got, I've got a guy that's a follower of this podcast. <laughs> And on Instagram, no joke, he wins more prizes per capita Instagram than any other person alive. <laughs> no joke. No joke. Every single giveaway I've ever done, he's won something if it's like a multiple prize giveaway. And I've seen him win from, you know, a hundred other giveaways. No <laughs> no why. Wow. So uh I've told him, I was like, you need to go out and buy a lottery ticket. And he's, he's told me, yeah, he no goes, kidding. unfortunately, it doesn't carry over. It just, my luck runs out at the gram, but uh, good, <laughs> good for him. And uh, hopefully maybe he listens to this podcast and he goes on there and wins, <laughs> wins a nice new lure yeah. because uh, he, he seems to win just about everything on Instagram giveaways. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so swim baits though, I mean, kind of walk me through like, where you're going to throw those swim baits, uh, you know, into certain cover or just kind of run parallel to a shoreline with them. What what are you doing that you find the most results? Sure. Um, so there's, there's a couple different styles of swim baits. Um, so I guess I'll break it down into glide baits, build swim baits that, that have a lip on them and, like a, a soft plastic paddle tail style swim bait. Um, glide baits are still something that I'm learning um, and I I have the least experience with, but those are going to be uh, baits that I tend to throw more parallel to cover um, or more open water type situations. Something that I can kind of just make it swish back and forth nice easy motion um maybe use it almost as a search bait um a lot of times those big baits will have drawing power the fish is going to come out investigate even if they don't eat it now i know there's a fish living on that log or under that fishing pier or whatever the case is um so that's kind of where i'm looking at for glide baits the lipped swim baits are what I fish the most of. Um, and I fish those primarily almost like I'm fishing a square bill crankbait. Uh, I'm going to throw them parallel to weed lines. I'm going to throw them into the middle of a, um, a reed patch and, and try and draw something out that way. Um, underneath the pier along, uh, along logs, anywhere that you would throw a square bill, I'm going to throw those lipped, uh, lipped swim baits and then uh the soft soft body paddled tail style they're another kind of search bait kind of bait for me i'm gonna throw them out and i'm good i'm just gonna uh straight retrieve them maybe bounce them along the bottom um give them a pause let them sink for a little bit and then start to retrieve again um they're a phenomenal bait during the winter when water gets cold fish sit on the bottom throw it out let it fall all the way down to the bottom 
and then just crawl that thing um, as slow as you can, just enough to get it to, to move along the bottom. And a lot of times those, those cold lethargic bass will see that, that big six to eight inch fish or, you know, swim bait looking fish um, creeping right along next to them. And it's just super easy for them to suck it in. They're thinking they're getting a big meal. Um, and then, then you got them. Uh, so that, that's kind of where I fish those or what I'm looking for, for those different kinds of swim baits. Man, so I feel like I'm a terrible angler now because I do not dedicate enough time. I don't ever fish cold water. I'm a fair weather angler because <laughs> as soon as cooler weather comes around, it is time to climb in that tree and start chasing the whitetails. So it's like, yeah, I, I know I'm probably missing out on some good fishing, but it's like there, there's too many other things to chase to only do that. Um, and it, it's unfortunate that... Uh, you know, a lot of times my angling ends in like, uh, end of August, maybe middle of September and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it depends on where you live though, too. So for, for me being here in South Carolina, I mean, during the winter, it can cool down quite a bit. Um, but it doesn't get so cold that the fishing stops. And unfortunately I'm not in an area where, um, I have the opportunity to hunt very much. Uh, so fishing is just, it's a natural thing for me to keep going all year long. Um, if I were in an area where it, yeah, it got super cold and iced over during the winter, yeah, obviously the fishing had stopped and I'd, I'd probably be in the same boat. Um, uh, yeah. Buy, buying a tree stand and, and putting it out in the woods somewhere. So. <laughs> so I was just at my local bait shop talking to the gentleman who owns it the other day. Uh, it's always fun mm -hmm. stopping in and talking to, you know, the owners of the bait shop and they got all the stories from all the different people and stuff. But he showed me a picture on yeah. his phone from over the winter, a guy caught an eight and a half pound largemouth through the ice. Oh my goodness. And he had to hold it at the hole until his buddy drilled another hole big enough to where they could get it out of the ice. Wow. And then took it out took pictures with it uh kept it in water kept it alive cool enough temps yeah, yeah. you know kept it lethargic and they actually returned it back to after they they took it and kept it in some type of live well thing or a cooler or something took it to the bait shop took some pictures with it and then actually released it back into the same body of water in which he took it out of so really That's cool awesome. really cool and now to yeah. know maybe that that fish is still out there and I happen to know the lake, like, you know, that's a pretty cool experience uh, <laughs> yeah. to hopefully go after. But I could not believe it when I saw that. I was like, man, that is a tournament winner right there. <laughs> you know, yeah, that and could through be... the ice, too. That's <laughs> pretty incredible. I don't know what he caught it on. Uh, I think he said he was fishing with stuff that was uh, like for panfish and it happened to yeah. catch that. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know what he was using, but... You know, that's always a technique that's if they're hungry enough that, <laughs> that yeah, you definitely might wild. be able to get. Yeah, it was totally cool seeing the picture of that and actually hearing the full story of it instead of just seeing a picture, you know. It was one of his buddies. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, yeah. But I got to ask you, like, if you could fish one lake on on a bass boat, where would what would that lake be if you could oh, choose? Oh, man. That, God, that's you mentioned Fork earlier. Keeps that that lake in the forefront of my mind. 
But then I think about Okeechobee down in Florida, and I know they've got some, I mean, not that Fort doesn't have monsters, but I know Okeechobee's got double digits for days. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, you, you can fish just about any way you want to on Okeechobee and catch a double digit. You can punch mats, frog, deep crank, um, and you, you, could, you could catch a double. So I, I'd probably have to say Okeechobee. Nice. I've actually yeah. fished Lake Okeechobee uh, yeah. when I was younger, but uh, I haven't been back in like 18, 15, 18 years. And I remember I got a big old bird's nest and that was kind of the end of my fishing for the day <laughs> out there. And then it was uh, strictly spin cast after that. So it kind of limited me to, to what I was doing out there. But I, I spent yeah. a day with my dad. I think he rented a boat or something because we were down visiting my grandma. But yeah, we fished Okeechobee, saw an alligator. It was, uh, it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I would, I'd love to fish Okeechobee. Um, and like I said, I'm a, I like flipping and pitching. So for me, that would probably be where I started. It would be doing some flipping and pitching um, or pull out a punch rod, you know, a 7-Eleven heavy uh, with some, you know, heavy braid and an ounce and a half tungsten weight with a five-off flipping hook, start punching some mats. That, so, that would be super fun for me. So what's your go-to? If all else fails, nothing's working, they're not biting on whatever – What's your go-to kind of lure? Because I'll, I'll give you an example. Like for mine, for a while there, I switched over from like the Senkos, like a Texas-style rig, and I started using mm-hmm. the Ned rig. And it was like the fish hadn't in my area hadn't really seen that a whole lot. Or I think the presentation sure. was something that was new and different. And, uh, man, they would smoke it. And then the Ned was kind of my go-to, but the last like – year or two it seems like that's not on fire anymore and i started switching over to like wacky and and using more whopper ploppers and it seems like now all of a sudden that's the hot thing that they're hitting so what's kind of your go-to for the moment that's like you're you're tried and true um i mean if there's one bait that i'm gonna pick up and fish just about anywhere in search for a bite is probably gonna be a chatterbait um I am very much a power fisherman at heart. I like to cast and retrieve, cast and retrieve, cast and retrieve. Um, I'm not a huge finesse fishing fan. So if I'm going to pick up one and hope in, in search for a bite, it's probably going to be a chatterbait. But as much as I say that lately, the wacky rig has been the, the, the bait that's been putting fish on the line for me is, you know, again, I fish a lot of ponds and there aren't too many places around me for people to bass fish. So the places that are available get pressured a lot. So the wacky rig is just one of those baits. It's, it's super easy. It's, it doesn't put a lot of pressure on the fish. It just kind of sits there it rests right in front of their face. It falls super slow. Um, and it's just something easy for them to grab real quick. And so the, the wacky rig is, has been the one putting, uh, getting bites for me. All right. So let's, uh, let's go one step further on the wacky rig. So let's say it's an overcast sure. day or real early in the morning, not a lot of light coming through the water. What are you mm-hmm. using for that wacky rig? 
so watermelon red is kind of my go-to just for almost all situations. So watermelon, red flake, Senko. Um, it, it, you can fish it in just about any water clarity. It's got enough um, color that it will stand out in just about any water clarity, but it's also natural enough that in clearer waters, it's not so, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it doesn't, it's not so wild that it, it's not unnatural of a color uh, that they won't get. So I saw something and, and I've kind of found that just a little bit. So like the watermelon or something like that, like a Senko, and that's kind of my go-to mm-hmm. too, is either like the pumpkin with the watermelon, like the combo or mm-hmm. or the watermelon with the flake in it. Sometimes I go with like silver flake, just like toned down a little bit. Um, yeah. But I've also found that like if you get some more obscure different brands that are putting out stuff to where they have like just a white tip on them, a white tip with like that watermelon, it seems like that gets more hits than the other one. And I don't know if it's just like it adds just that little bit of flair to it or something, or it has, you know, like it gives it a different like approach or color when it's in the water. But I found that that kind of uh, lately has been getting more hits and I don't have that many packs of them, you know? So it's like when you use them, (laughs) it's kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm going to need to get more of them or whatever. But it's like local guys that are making them that I found that kind of are doing some of that stuff. And and that seems to be really good. And then, so let's talk about like, you know, a lot more sun coming through the water. You know, you need something to kind of cut through a little bit more what are you going with like a like a neon like a chartreuse or uh something like that um honestly like i said my my wacky rig colors are very very limited if i'm if i'm fishing straight chocolate milk then i'll go with like a, a black and blue or an okeechobee crawl kind of color uh that um but 90 percent of the time I'm throwing on a watermelon red flake. It doesn't matter the conditions. Watermelon red flake almost always gets bites for me. Um, doesn't matter if it's overcast, if it's sunny, um, if I've got three inches of visibility or six inches to a foot. Watermelon red just it, it gets me bit. Um, I've caught them on some more obscure colors. Um, what are some colors I've used in the past? I've used, uh, Strike King has like a red, yellow, and black swirl color that I think they call, uh, sweet tater pie. And I've used those before and that's got bit for me. Um, but I, my Senkos, I generally keep those really, really simple. Green pumpkin, um, or that watermelon red. I, you know, and it's funny because I have them and I've never caught anything on it. And I'm hoping one day the right scenario will present itself to where I can throw them and I throw them all the time. Well, not all the time, but uh, if nothing else is biting on, you know, like your traditional Senko colors and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, I have some bubble gum with like chartreuse in in it. And I oh, throw wow. those yeah, yeah. and I've never, I've never caught anything on it, but I'm hoping one of these days that's going to be the ticket, you know, the yeah. bubblegum chartreuse. <laughs> but you know, it's <laughs> funny too, because everybody always swears by a pink bubblegum floating worm. I've heard 
you know, even pros, Gerald Swindell, um, Mike Iconelli, some of these other guys talk about the pink floating, uh, the pink bubble gum floating worm, you know, on a weightless, weightless rig, throw it on spin and tackle, and it just gets bit. And I have never in my life caught a fish on anything pink. I think, I think they tell people that, so they'll continue to do that, and they fish with other colors, <laughs> therefore winning tournaments. It's it's kind of like the Trojan horse effect there. Yeah, and, and that, psychology. Yeah, doing that yeah. a little bit. Yeah, oh, man, they told me to use it. I'm going to use it. And then it doesn't work at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, that I mean, in general, I mean, that's half of the fishing industry right there is just somebody willing to say whatever the the – the brand is wanting them to say just for the sake of making a few bucks. But yeah, you're right. They're they're probably just saying it just to say it. (laughs) Who knows though? Maybe I've never actually. So let's talk about this weightless. When you say weightless with like a, you're talking about putting it on an actual spinning rig or you're saying like, just like a weightless worm itself with like, like double hook or what, what do they do? Like what type of like a Lindy uh, type rig? What are they doing? No, they're using a, a spinning rod and reel. Um, same thing that kind of you that I would use for like a Ned rig or a drop shot. Um, spinning rod, fifteen pound braid to a ten pound or so fluorocarbon leader on a weightless Texas rig. So you rig it up, rig it up uh, with, on a Texas rig. But instead of putting a a bullet weight up front, you don't put anything on there at all. So the only thing that is there is that worm. And while it's a quote unquote floating worm it does sink it just sinks incredibly slow and so they'll throw it out um, and generally it's a target presentation meaning they're they're throwing to a specific target whether it's a bush or overhang or a log or limbs or whatever's in the water and they'll toss it out let it uh, sink just a little bit and then just kind of twitch it back a little bit let it sink some more twitch it let it sink and that's how they're working this worm back. And they're, uh, and uh, what's the other color? It's uh, like Mirthalate or something like that. It's like a bright orange, almost like a blaze orange hmm. color. Um, and guys will swear up and down during the spring. They do the same thing. Use that, that orange color in the spring uh, on the same thing. Spin and, rip, spin and tackle on that weightless Texas rig. Uh, floating worm and they just absolutely get get smoked so with that being said i use a lot of flukes that way weightless like that Mm -hmm. let them swim drop twitch them swim drop twitch Mm -hmm. them and have a lot of good results but then a little tip that i learned um because you only get like your actual hookup rate is probably like 90 percent, right you get a lot of taps and stuff like that and you lose them and uh fishing guide buddy he might actually get mad that i'm telling people this i don't know especially in the river though those smallies they'll kind of tap it first and you lose that bite um especially when you do it and you try and rig it weedless with uh you know inside the body like that and kind of tuck that hook tip in a circle hook through the nose weightless and pull it through the water like that and yeah it's like a 99 percent success rate they because once they sure. get on it just hooks himself once they they bite onto that bait it, it, you know there's no chance of the hook slipping out you don't have to really set it they're on it and it and it sets itself it's like the beauty yeah. of the circle hook 
And so I, we started using that, especially in the river, catching the smallies. And it's like, holy crap, that really works. I'm wondering if you could almost use that same concept, shorten up a worm a little bit and use one of those bubblegum worms weightless like that and try and use that. I might have to start throwing that and just kind of see what yeah. happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, another technique that I've seen uh, seen going around for the, the weightless flukes and I'm sure would transfer to those weightless uh those those floating worms too is using a treble hook as a stinger stinger hook so instead of um or you you take the treble hook and you run the hook of your worm hook you run the point of your worm hook through the eye of the treble hook and then you rig up your worm so that that treble hook is hanging down in the bend of your worm hook and then you can take one of the hook points of the treble and hook it into the plastic of your your fluke or your worm or whatever the case is. And now you've got your hook point for your worm hook on top of the bait uh, on a, in a traditional weightless Texas rig. But then you've got the additional treble hook hanging down underneath the bait. So regardless of how they get it, they're they're getting essentially three hook points in their mouth at some point. And your hookup ratio increases incredibly that way, too. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. I've seen another one that's kind of similar, and it's always looked kind of hokey, and it's been around for a long time. And they have some of those bubblegum colors and stuff, and it almost makes me want to start throwing one now just to kind of see after we've been talking about it. But it's got, like, a leader with – so it's got a hook in the, like, in the very front like you would hook – like a texas style rig worm but it's not like an mm-hmm. offset shank hook it kind of just goes through there and it sticks out mm-hmm. and then it's got from there it's like a leader that's on it and i believe it's got another hook and like a treble hook towards the back so it's like got like anywhere it hits it it'll it'll yeah. hook up to it but kind of makes me you know after you kind of mentioned that just want to try that i've always looked at it and gone man that's kind of hokey it seems like a lot going yeah. on there for something like that but who knows? Maybe it works, and that's why it's been around so long. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's been good talking to you, Joshua, and uh, we could probably talk yeah, fishing forever. Absolutely. But uh, <laughs> but uh, kind of before we go, let's kind of tell everybody where they can find you, find your content. I know you got some content on YouTube and some other stuff. So let's kind of give them all the all the social media points and all that stuff, so they can uh, follow you and kind cool. of see what you're doing. Yeah. So. Um... All my social medias are the same, uh, Budget Angler, um, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. I haven't, uh, haven't been as active on, on uh, YouTube over the last couple of years that I would like to have been. But again, uh, busy training recruits. Um, so that's something that I'm hoping to pick back up once I get settled uh, out there in Arizona. Uh, but other than that, Instagram is my main, main social media. Um, again, budget angler, um, Facebook, same thing, budget angler. And then again on YouTube. Now YouTube is not just budget angler. It's like budget angler, all one word or like an underscore on there or something. Because I did find a guy in the UK, I believe that is like budget space angler. Yeah. Um, yeah, mine, mine's all one word, no spaces, punctuation, nothing like that. It's all just budget angler, one word. Okay. All right, so uh, it's been good talking to you, and I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. 
Yeah, I appreciate the invite, man. It was it was great talking to you, and I I absolutely enjoyed myself. So, do you want to do a di sign off or no? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'll pass. I think I'll pass. All right, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. For in the Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky.